by standing in front of a group of people and sharing his story and being vulnerable to that audience, it kind of then leads to fulfilling my mission, which is around creating awareness and education around mental health and well-being. Is the first part. The second part is about inspiring conversations because it's really important as blokes, but as communities, as you know, everybody in general, not just blokes, you know, females as well. Um, we all talk about this and, and not be scared of talking about our emotions, our feelings, and and how we're travelling. And then the third part of my mission is to um, enable or empower people to seek help in a safe environment that's free from stigma. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Resilience, persistence, determination. These are the words to describe our guest this week, the amazing Warren Davies. Born and bred in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, Warren was the son of small business owners. A leader throughout his primary school years, this confidence was eroded once entering secondary school, where he was subjected to bullying and not fitting in. His academic achievement began a downward spiral, and this is where his skill of resilience was developed, something that he would need to call upon in future years. As you hear in his remarkable story, you will notice that his decision to move to the country and pursue his father's dream of becoming a farmer was something that was an opportunity for him to reinvent himself. He knew he was going to be a farmer. He was mentored by some of the best farmers in the district and he honed his skills. By the age of 22, he purchased his first farm. The next 16 years, as you're about to hear, were to be defining for him. The harsh reality of being a farmer became evident. High interest rates, low commodity prices, floods, droughts, all having a huge impact, but most significantly was that on his mental health. These events all tested his resilience, persistence and determination and had a massive impact on his young family of four children, relationships and finances, all culminating with the decision to have to walk from the farm. Either, although he had these skills and with these, he had it easy to find work managing large scale operations from Victoria to South Australia. It just wasn't the same. He couldn't settle and he assumed that he'd lost his identity because he was not only the farmer, it was where he called it his home, his life. In his eyes, he'd failed and carried the guilt as a failing as a husband and father. But you know what, as you read his story, if you have the opportunity to follow him online or as you hear him speak today, you're going to see that he had to search for a better way and began the journey of putting his life back together. For those of you who are afraid of being a public speaker or who have never thought to share your story, you're going to hear from Warren that going on this uh, unbelievable desire to unpack his story you will see that that was the pathway to his healing. He hit rock bottom, and as he calls it, his two-foot moment. You're going to hear how this beautiful human has risen up from the ashes and now become a keynote speaker, facilitator, and mental health advocate. 
I know whilst many parts of Australia and New Zealand are going into lockdown, and I know that over these few months, whenever you hear this podcast, lockdown has become a bit of a norm, if you like, certainly not something we all want. And it's certainly not easy for those of us that become socially isolated and distanced. So please take note at the end of the show notes of the lifeline support and being able to reach out. I hope that by sharing this podcast, by touching your heart through the work that Warren is doing, that from my heart to yours, you know that podcasts like this can sometimes be the turning point, the connector, the ability to stay a part of a community and in relationship with others. Please know that I'm thinking of you. I'm so grateful that you listen to the self-love podcast. And I do pray with all of my heart that by sharing these incredible humans, that you yourself always know that you are not alone. Enjoy today's story and please share your feedback on Kim Morrison 28 on the Instagram page Kim Morrison Training Facebook page, or you can go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Thanks a heap for tuning in. It means the world to me. Here's the amazing Warren. As you can hear, it is a beautiful and wonderful delight to have this extraordinary human on the self-love podcast. As you heard me in the intro say, resilience, persistence, and determination are words that describe Warren Davies. I've had the privilege of standing on stage with this man. We've spoken at fundraising events, and I just think it's high time we shared this story. Welcome to the Self-Love Podcast, Gorgeous Warren. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for having me, and um, it's, it's be, it'll be good to have a, have a chat to you. It's been a long time. I know, too long, in fact. And I know that we met at a common fundraising event down there in Victoria, and then you turned up at my Essential Self-Care Weekend and spoke there, and everyone just fell in love with you. And I guess for the person who doesn't know much about you, it'd be kind of cool for us to go back a little bit. And maybe if it's easy for you just to give us an overview of your life and from your perspective, how you ended up into the place that you are now. Uh, yeah, it's been a, a little bit of a journey and um, I, I suppose if I go back or if I start probably about four years ago, I um, I was on on a real journey and a search for my identity and my purpose in life and I, I stumbled across a, a speaker course and uh, talking to the, the guy who was running the course, we... Um, we, we talked a few times and then he said, you know, I think you've got a story and I think you, you should come along. So I still don't know to this day whether I was conned or coerced or what it was to do this course, but I'm really grateful that I did it. Um, and, it and in that course, um, you know, it taught you the fundamentals of being a speaker and, and, and how it's like to build a, a brand, but it was also the, the, the important parts of the workshop were about unpacking your story. And I learned a lot about myself then. And, and I suppose that leads back to my start and my childhood. And one of those things that I learned by unpacking our story is one of the exercises we had to do to, to find our value, what we were going to share with an audience. If we were going to become a speaker, what was what were we sharing and what was the value to the to the audience you know and um i I learned a couple of things and and one of those things i learned 
was that um, I'd been struggling with my mental health and as the story, um, as you've heard before, the story um, um, evolves from this point, but it's always good to go back to the start, I think. Um, at a young age, I was struggling with um, with some mental health challenges, um, you know, around self-esteem and anxiety and, and stuff like that. And, and I didn't really acknowledge it back then and, and definitely didn't do anything about it and never sought any help about it. And, and that, as I unpacked more of my story, it became an underlying theme, I suppose, to my story that, you know, when the times when I needed the most help, I probably didn't reach out for it. And eventually as that story evolved um, through school, um, you know, being son of um, small business owners, we moved around a bit and never had an attachment to community. So all these things that I was learning by unpacking my story that really consciously didn't really take the time to think about, you know, you just get on with your life. And, and, you know, as it evolved, um, you know, this not doing anything about um, how I was feeling or the challenges that I was facing eventually come and, and caught up with me when I was older um, and I was as a farmer. And, and when stressful events um, started to unfold and a lot of all the stuff was outside my control like we had a flood and a drought and then we had a family bust up on the farm these things were real triggers in in my life that um started me on this dark spiral um which i call my now call my mental health journey and that um that spiral led me to really dark places and and i suppose the loss of then not long after the this this time the the loss of my farm um kind of was a, a point in my life where i also lost my identity and and then i set out on this journey after that to to try and find my identity find my purpose in life and and that leads me back to where i started and i eventually found um this speaker course which then has unlocked a a whole different part of my life that I didn't even envisage or imagine and definitely probably as a 15-year-old fella, never ever thought I'd ever stand in front of a group of people and talk. But um, I think by standing in front of a group of people and sharing your story and being vulnerable to that audience, it kind of then leads to fulfilling my mission, which is around creating Awareness and education around mental health and well-being is the first part. The second part is about inspiring conversations because it's really important as blokes, but as communities, as you know, everybody in general, not just blokes, you know, females as well. Um, we all talk about this and, and not be scared of talking about our emotions, our feelings, and and how we're travelling. And then the third part of my mission is to. Um, enable or empower people to seek help in a safe environment that's free from stigma and i think by having these conversations and 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 talking about this hopefully by me sharing my story then i empower other people to share theirs i think it's quite an extraordinary thing as i sit here and reflect on what you're saying here 
I just want the audience to understand just how low you went, how far you you went. Could you explain to us that dark spiral that you went into? Because for a lot of people, we simply, we might be down, we might feel really, really sad, but I'm not sure people really fully comprehend what people mean when they say they're in a black hole, a dark space, or they're in that dark spiral. Could you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so if I go back to, to those younger years, being being that young kid, and I can always, I can distinctly remember. So I, I often say, you know, I'm either blessed or cursed with a really good memory um, around certain events in my life. And, and one event that really stood out to me when I was unpacking my story was, I was in grade three and I was starting at a new school and um, I'd moved from a smaller school to a larger school. I was in primary school um, and I'm self-confessed, I'm, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed when it came to school. Um, you know, I've got different skills. Uh, maths wasn't one of them. And that first lesson at that, at that school um, was a maths lesson and the, and the teacher kind of introduced me and I can remember this clearly. It doesn't matter how many times I, I tell this story, um, I still get you know, like the hairs on the back of my neck stand up because it was that's how much impact it must have had on me that I didn't really acknowledge at the time. But um, she called me up the front and introduced me basically as the new guy and then put a, a math sum on the board and then asked me to, to solve it or to, you know, put the answer on the board. And I really had no idea of how to go about it. And I can remember the laughter and, you know, the, the jokes and, you know, he's a dumb new kid and it had a real big effect on me. And I think that's the earliest, you know, in hindsight, unpacking this story, it's probably the earliest time that I knew that I was probably struggling with anxiety and definitely with low self-esteem. I eventually at that school built myself up and you know, climbed the social ladder, if you like, or, you know, ended up in a friendship group, which was fantastic. And I was ended up being a leader at that primary school, even in grade six. I was, you know, the blue house captain and, you know, had, all, you know, jobs of responsibility, which was, was fantastic. But, as I left primary school and entered secondary school, in my mum and dad's wisdom, they, they sent me to a private boys' school in the same suburb where I was living, um, but it was um, a different school altogether. And out of the, I think there was about 180 kids in the grade six year that I was at, at school. Out of that 180 kids, I was the only one that went to that, that high school. Now, um, from grade three to grade six, as I said, that underlying part of my story is nothing. I never sought help or acknowledged it or anything like that. And I probably didn't, to be honest, didn't actually understand or know about mental health or that I needed help or whatever. And um, when I got to that first day at high school, the only kid from my school, so basically I'm back to ground zero again and I'm walking into a school where I'm the new kid on the block again not knowing anybody and and then basically on that day it started the um, bullying started 
um, I, I must have been become an easy target or had something tattooed on my forehead or whatever it was to, you know, say, let's pick on this kid. And it, and it started, and, it, and eventually it started off, you know, just verbal, you know, and it's probably just banter. And I was probably a little bit, you know, probably fairly <laughs> a fair bit vulnerable going into that new environment. Um, and, you know, having these anxiety and self-esteem issues bubbling in the background doesn't help when you're in a situation like that. And, and that and that bullying over the next three years at that school, that bullying ended up being physical bullying. And it had a major effect on, on my well-being my, as, as a person, but had a major effect on my education because I went from being a straight A student to failing school from year seven to year nine. And, and you know, all these things just keep adding um, like a snowball because, you know, you start failing at school, you feel bad about yourself, your self-esteem drops even further, you get more anxious about going to school and it just keeps bubbling along. And then we moved from Melbourne to the country to, to become farmers. Mum and Dad um, decided to sell their business in Melbourne. We moved to the country and that was fantastic for me. It was an opportunity, I thought, to be able to reinvent myself um, no one knew me. I had a little bit more confidence probably and had dealt with a fair bit. So I thought I was on, on, you know, be on top of this and I was. But schooling wasn't, you know, wasn't working out for me and eventually left school and become a farmer, um, a farmhand on a farm. And that was the, the occupation that I'd chosen. Um, one, because probably I just wanted to get out of school and, um, and two, I, I, I love the like the farming environment. Even living in Melbourne, we'd all, always gone um, to friends' farms and that. And I love that, you know, the outdoorsy thing. And I, you know, I think my dream job as a, as a kid growing up, because I grew up at the foot of the Dandenongs, on the edge of Melbourne there, or in the Dandenongs, always wanted to be a park ranger. But um, probably my schooling marks weren't going to enable me to be that. So. Farming was probably the next best thing outside, you know, working with your hands, you know, with animals, all the things that I love. So decided to be a farmer, um, you know, met a girl who then has become my wife and, um, you know, we've been together ever since. You know, this is all at the age of 16 and a half I was. Um, you know, so everything was bubbling along well and, and as our relationship evolved, you know, everything just was traveling along really well I was doing well at sport which I'd struggled with in Melbourne I was playing senior footy I was winning premierships all the good things um had a great friendship group and everything was going along well and then as a naive 22 year old I thought I knew everything I needed to know about farming I'd learned what I needed to learn from the bloke that I was working for and then went out and tried to buy my own farm which ended up being the farm next door to mum and dad's farm and we joined the two farms together and created a family business. Now, anyone that's listening that might be involved in a family business knows that that can be fraught with danger as well. But that was my out and it was my, you know, keep climbing the ladder. And in hindsight, whether it was the right or the wrong decision, well, you know, can't change that now. And um, I wouldn't probably be where I am now talking to you if all the other things that happened from that point onwards didn't happen so um and you know everything's great everything i've got the world at my feet basically and a couple of years into that business 
um, building that business, building that farm enterprise. Um, we, I call, I call her my silent business partner, and she had a big hand in what happens from now on. And my silent business partner was Mother Nature, and she came along and sent sent us a, a flood, which was fairly for us. Um, pretty in a pretty isolated situation for us was fairly um, damaging um, financially and you know damaging to the farm and you know it's really set us back and because we weren't generational farmers we didn't you know have a heap of money behind us because mum and dad had just only made the move a few years earlier to become farmers and 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 I was hell-bent on and, and as another a, a word that I touch and some people um, tell me, you know, you shouldn't say that about yourself, and but it, but it is, and it, one of those words that has followed me through my life is failure. You know, at school, and it, whether I was or not, it was just how I perceived myself. And one thing I didn't want to do was fail as a farmer. So when this flood came along, it was devastating. And but the thing that I want wasn't going to let it do is is um, make me fail. So uh, I was hell bent on recovering which we did but the thing that that happened with that flood was the trigger that as i said moved into now what i call my mental health journey and that was that spiral and and with that flood it was just you know, i had to get on with business and and my biggest mistake was you know paying a, not paying enough attention attention to me um to my well-being and more focused on the business and you just got to get it up and going because i didn't want to fail and that spiral at that time, if I was to describe it, was just like a like a fuzzy feeling. I knew something was wrong, but I was too focused to do anything about it because I wanted to recover from the flood. And that just that was the starting point. And you know, it'd just be odd bouts of you know depression or anxiety, or you know feel really low about myself and whether I was doing a good enough job and really hard on myself, which is something that I am all the time, but that's just my personality. From there, we recovered. As I said, that underlying theme didn't do anything about it, but it's still there and that and that spiral's still above my head and we, we moved on and we kept building the business, recovered from the flood. And then a couple of years again, later down the track, my vision of the farm and mum and dad's vision kind of went two different ways and, it become a little bit ugly there at times, and for me that was uh, had a major impact because family is my number one value. That's my well and truly on top of um, the ladder of things that are important to me. So when the family unit, as in mum and dad, and I start arguing and it starts breaking down, you know that had a, a major effect on on me because. You know, I felt responsible uh, and had a big, a big effect on my well-being, and that spiral become quicker. To to rectify that situation, I bought mum and dad out of the farm, taking on a heap of debt, um, as well as um, you know a lot of stress as well, and to um, 
yeah, but but I'd solved the problem, I suppose. You know, we got back on talking terms and started repairing our relationship, which was most important to me. But also here I find my, my wife and I find ourselves with a lot more debt and a business to run. So we sat down with all our advisors and set out on a 10-year plan. But that had a major effect on my well-being. So then my decision-making was impaired by, you know, how I was feeling. My mental health was not in a good place. And so, you know, some of the decisions I might have made might have been the correct ones, but you've got to live with them. Um, but that was there. And my outlet was um, was footy and I was still able to do that. Um, you know, I was coaching footy. And then there was an incident on the footy field with one of my friends that really had a big impact on on my life because one when that happened he stopped talking to me and I was probably at a real um, vulnerable time and we actually then moved into a drought which was very stressful and not having I suppose a support network or being able to understand the importance of a support network or having people to turn to or understand what you're actually going through um, was really tough and and for me once again I didn't want to fail um, and as the drought got harder and harder I was failing but it was nothing to do with me and that's another big lesson that I've learned out of this journey and this being, um, unpacking my story I suppose and taking the time to unpack that is that you can only can control what you can control and I was trying to control something that was much bigger than me and that was mother nature and as the drought continued, you know, my spiral, I just started to spiral out of control because I was felt like I was failing myself, my farm, my, my animals, my cows. Um, I was failing my family. I felt a lot of shame and guilt because, you know, I've got everyone into this position and, and things aren't good. We're, you know, really struggling financially but really struggling as far as being farmers with the drought as well, because I think unless you're a farmer and if there's any farmers listening, you know, yeah, you, you will understand this, that, you know, you've got a great responsibility, one to your land and, and one to your animals and two to your land. And when you can't do that job properly because you're restricted by a climatic event and, and you know, and financial restraints, it starts to take a big toll on you and, and that spiral just continued out of control and I, and I wasn't seeking help, but then I plucked up the courage to go and see a doctor and, and got the help that I, that I needed, but at the, at the same time didn't take, treat it seriously because I could still get up in the morning and milk the cows and I could still do the day-to-day -day things. I, I kind of look at myself like a like a a high-functioning alcoholic, like, you know, you're still drinking, but you're able to do all the stuff and it's hard to for anyone outside your body to see what you're going through. But I was, I was spiralling out of control and then it started having an effect on my relationships and, and the stuff that I was doing. You know, I love being involved in my community. I love, you know, being involved with, with sport and I stopped doing all that sort of stuff and I stopped going to family birthdays and I, I just withdrew and isolated myself and 
and basically um, just stayed on the farm and spiraled further and further out of control and, and not really <coughs> discussing that with my, my wife either because I felt bad about that because she was going through um, the same stuff that I was going through and it was hard to burden her with how I was feeling. And it got to a stage where, you know, basically I thought they'd be better without without me, better off without me. And, you know, got to a really dark stage where that was the, the only option. And I call that moment um, when I'm presenting this moment because it's really hard to talk about, um, you know, suicide and, and stuff in front of an audience and, and try and not um, scare people. But I call this moment in my life my, my two feet of perspective. And right at that moment, um, life gave me two choices. It was either, you know, I could continue to be bitter and, you know, pissed off at the world and like that, or I could decide to get better and, and that's when my that's when the recovery journey started, which today is still ongoing. But that's when I set out on that journey of trying to find out, well, who am I and and what am I here for? And what's my purpose? You know, at that stage I had four kids and a loving wife and but I still was confused about who I was. Um, not long after that that time um, we actually lost the farm or we had to make a decision to leave. And um, um, we just had to walk off the farm because no one wanted to buy it. We're in the middle of the worst drought at that time in our area and walked off the farm and, and left, you know, 16 odd years of building, <coughs> building a, a life for ourselves behind. And that was really tough. And um, walking out the gate that day or walking over, we had a bridge and basically symbolically walking over that bridge and leaving that farm, I also unhooked or um, unpinned my identity from myself and hooked it on the front gate because that's who I thought I was. I thought I was Warren the farmer and, and that was it and I'd failed. And here I have, I've got a, a young family and what do I do next? And But back at that two feet perspective moment, I'd made that pledge to myself that I was going to get better and not bitter and twisted. <laughs> so I, I had to move forward and I tried lots of other, lots of things and I did real estate for three years and um, tried lots of different things, but, generally went back in, I went into farm management and we moved into state for a little while, but it still wasn't your own farm. It wasn't your, you know, my baby. It was someone else's baby and it was really hard. And so that, that search for who I was and, and what my purpose was has taken a long time. But also within that is the recovering from, really struggle like being in a really dark place and 
I still struggle with that today. I'm, you know, if I have good days and bad days, but I think by sharing my story and and people understanding that it's okay not to be okay, you've just got to seek help. And, you know, like I'm, I don't want to put myself on a pedestal and say, well, <coughs> this is what I did. And, you know, this is what you should do because, like, I did everything wrong. I didn't seek for help and, you know, didn't have a toolbox full of strategies to be able to deal with challenges that I might face on a daily basis or anything like that, all the stuff that I tell people to do now, but it's what I've learned through my journey is, you know, by imparting some of that, some of that journey or some of that knowledge with people, hopefully um, if they get in that position, you know, they can draw on some of those things and think, well, you know, I don't want to head down that path that Warren headed down. I want to, you know, be okay. So maybe I better try this or I better reach out for some help here or seek some professional advice or make sure I've got a support network around me. So, yeah, it's been a, an interesting interesting journey. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I'm lucky to be here. Don't get me wrong, but I wouldn't change any part of my journey. I think because if I did, um, I wouldn't be, as I said to you, talking to you today, Kim. So, you know, I think, yeah, um, things happen for a reason and my that reason was for me to probably find my, my real purpose and my real passion in life and that's um, sharing my story and helping others and and hopefully, you know, making communities and particularly rural and regional communities more resilient. Wow, it's pretty big. Whenever I hear you share it, it doesn't get easier hearing it and it certainly doesn't get easier feeling you as you tell it and I'm sure it'll never leave you and particularly that two-foot moment where I know you spoke about that quite openly at the event that we were at together and what I found quite remarkable that day that you were speaking is you you had a broken arm <laughs> and you called yourself the unbreakable farmer. <laughs> could you, just before I have the next question about what you said, could you just quickly interject with that part of it about the unbreakable farmer? The unbreakable farmer, well, um, particularly when I'm speaking in rural communities, I feel... I suppose it's like imposter syndrome. Um, I feel like, a, yeah, like how can I, how can I stand up the front of a group of people that will be predominantly farmers or based around a rural community? Have something to do with farming? Called myself the unbreakable farmer, and and particularly when you hear my story. But um, at that speaker course, the first exercise that we had to do, we had it was. Uh, the, the course was a bit online and then a bit face-to-face. And so one of the workshops in Melbourne I, I walked, in, walked into, there was 20 of us doing doing the course and, um, you know, back to one of those really vulnerable situations where I'm the new kid and why am I here and questioning all these things, you know, two-and-a-half-hour drive odd to Melbourne and all the way down there thinking, why are you going here, Warren? This is, you know, all that negative talk. And we walk in and 
as I said, I think I said before, like if I'd have told my 15-year-old self that I'd be standing in front of people and, and, and talking, and particularly in the, on the round the topic that I talk about, I would have, you know, just laughed. There's no way known. And, you know, my only, my only um, I suppose, foot in the water to public speaking was when I was footy coaching and anyone that's been a coach, especially of a sporting team, especially of a, you know, AFL footy team or even rugby team or, you know, the coach really has no impact. You know, you stand there at three-quarter time huddle and you might rant and rave, but most of it goes in one ear and out the other and they go and do their own thing anyway. So, um, you know, that's not really public speaking, especially when you want to impart some learnings or a, a journey like I do. So walking in that first day and the, and the, we kind of got introduced to the facilitator who was running the course and then um, he said, well, here's the first exercise. Before we go break for morning tea, we're all going to stand up and share our story. And I'm thinking, what's my story? <laughs> I'm sure sure this was meant to happen about the third workshop when you knew a little bit about public speaking. I don't know what I'm going to share, so I'm thinking and I'm thinking anyway. Everyone goes, oh, who's going first? So one guy put up his hand and he went first. And and to give you an idea of the group, I was the only person that really didn't know why they were there. All the other people were business owners and basically why they wanted to learn more about speaking was to articulate their business model better to their, whether it was an investor uh, investor or a, um, a new client or whatever, they wanted to be able to, you know, talk the talk, I suppose. And for me, I still didn't really understand why I was there. I just thought, well, maybe I'll give this a shot. So I kept pushing everyone up to the front and, you know, everyone was sharing their story, um, but the, the the facilitator had given us a scope for this exercise, and there was uh, two parts to it. One, it had to come from the heart. And when he said that, it was probably a little bit easier for me than the other guys because it's unless you're really, really passionate about it. If you you're a um, if a couple of the people were like an IT specialist, it's you know it's pretty hard to. <laughs> speak your story from the heart when you're an IT specialist, I think, anyway. Um, so that was the first part. It had to come from the heart. And secondly, you had, to, you had to make someone cry. And so for that IT specialist, that was even a harder task. And I was really nervous, so I pushed everyone. So I ended up being the 20th person to stand up and talk just before the morning tea break. And I got up and I shared what I thought was my story or what I wanted to share. And at that stage, mental health had really nothing to do with it because I didn't have enough courage to stand up and share that story. It was more about um, it was more about that uh, you know resilience, persistence, and determination. All the the things that I'd learnt from being a farmer about being knocked down, and I thought that's what an audience would want to hear: you know, being knocked down, and dusting yourself off, and getting back up, and moving ahead, and all that sort of stuff, and what, and as we went to the coffee break, I shared the story and I ticked both boxes that come from the heart because it was my story, so that was easy. The second part, well, I didn't know how that would go, but um, a couple of the 
ladies in the audience or in the group had a, had a tear. So I ticked both boxes. And as we went to grab a coffee, one of the guys in the audience come tapped me on the on the um, shoulder and said, mate, um, you know, the next exercise, which the facilitator had also given us, he um, said, we have to come up with a superhero name. We sounded, as a country fellow, this sounded real, just this all sounds a lot, could be BSE, this does, but superpower name, okay. So I was thinking, what am I going to call myself? And the guy said to me, you're the unbreakable farmer. And I thought, hmm, that sounds pretty catchy. Um, so instead of grabbing a coffee, I went to my computer and got on GoDaddy and typed in the Unbreakable Farmer and the domain name was free. So I, I registered it there and then and that was the start of the Unbreakable Farmer. And basically that's probably my story is probably totally the opposite. I was probably more broken than unbreakable. But I think um, the fact that I'm here and I'm sharing my story, I think I, I've slowly become more comfortable with the unbreakable farmer name i suppose i love it i think it's a really powerful name but like i said the first time i met you you had a broken arm which was just quite quite funny to watch you on stage with the the title unbreakable farmer i just thought it was quite quite humorous but also um you know one of the most beautiful things about you and sharing your heart sharing your story and i'm sure everybody can hear that in you right now but there's just a couple of things I wanted to ask you. And, you know, I've, I've noticed that from a suicide point of view, mental health and wellness and all of these sorts of things, it's a very big topic. And I think it's something that needs to be talked about more in the sense that um, we do need to reach out. But my, my question is this, is when you are young, and you did touch on this, when you're young, you, you don't realise it's actually a problem as such, you just think your world is that. You don't think that there's an alternative. And for many people that are unwell, unwell mentally or even physically, if they've been unwell for a long time, it's very hard to picture what it would be like to be well, let alone even identify with your unwellness. How do we even suggest to someone to reach out? What are the symptoms? What is the how do you know? Is there a checklist when you know that that's the point to reach out or is it is it not that black and white? Well, I don't, when I get asked this question, you know, you know especially you go into a community and they go, you know, we're worried about people. What are the signs should we look out for? Um, or you're at, at a school when I'm talking at a school on the same thing, you know, they're not, it's not a, I don't believe, and this is only my opinion, but it's not a black and white list. But there's a couple of really key things that, um, that I think that if you look out for, they're, um, they're, the, they're the key indicators. Um, but that's only the first part of the story. And then you've got to have the courage then to ask the person, you know, that you do identify these things in. But one of those things, and I touched on it with my story, is isolation is, I believe, one of the biggest killers in our country and particularly around mental health. And, and I ask kids, like, if I go into a, um, a school and I said, you know, I ask them, you know, what, are, what do you think, you know, someone that's struggling might look like? And... And it generally takes a little bit to go, 
to get to the isolation thing. But I said, if you notice the kid that, you know, normally is playing in your group or you're hanging out together, if you're at high school or whatever, or you're kicking the footy or throwing the netball or doing whatever you, you're normally doing, then one day they're not and they're sitting by themselves and no one around them and all that, that should be alarm bells to you to say, well, maybe I should go and start that conversation with that person and just make sure they're okay. Um, but a lot of people are really scared about starting that conversation because of the answers that they might get. So I think that's where it's really important that, you know, building this knowledge and having these conversations and, and, and building our toolbox and how to deal with that. Because, like, um, I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday and uh, it was unbelievable, but the, the presenter said, um, at the end of it, he goes, to, he apologised to the person he was interviewing and said, look, I hope I said all the right things and I hope that I didn't offend you, but I'm not equipped to have this conversation. But I think he was because one of the, the there's two really important skills that we have to have in these conversations and that's um, the skill of listening and, the, and, and have empathy being able to, you know, be non-judgmental and be empathetic to someone's situation. So, you know, the list is long um, of all the things, you know. I, why, why I share my story the way that I share my story is, is to try and, without spelling out the points, I think is try and get people to pick up on them. So if you go back to the school, you know, my, my, my schooling was starting to deteriorate. So, you know, for teachers, or for parents, that should be, a, you know, there's a trigger point. If that's happening in your child's life or in someone that you know, that might be the time to start that conversation. And, you know, and then, you know, as I got older, you know, the isolation, well, if, you know, people go missing out of your life or they stop doing the things that they love doing, well, maybe that's the time that you need to have the conversation. Or if someone's, you know, out of character or not, you know, fairly... Um, uncharacteristically angry or stressed or whatever. There are all these little signs that we can pick up. And, and I think it's really important that we, you know, and particularly in the world that we're living in at the moment, you know, it's, it feels like at times, you know, it's a fend for yourself kind of mentality with what's going on. But you know, we need to be still looking out for our, for the people around us, for our community, because it's so important to us and and it's important that you know we don't let that slip and we're always you know looking out for ourselves but we're looking out for the people around us and and you know if, if you think that they're struggling or or they're you know don't be afraid to ask that question and just say you know you know how are you traveling you know is everything going all right and um that that might be the instigator to a a bigger conversation, but never be scared because there's no right or wrong answers. And if you can just listen, um, that's really important because you don't have to have all the answers. Um, you just have to be there for someone and that might be all it takes from um, for them to get it off their chest or to then reach out and seek further help or, or it might save their life as well. 
I think it's really sound advice. I'm just struggling to understand sometimes how if someone is really angry and stressed and you're asking if they're okay, a lot of the time the individual can be their own worst enemy by not being honest either or seeing it as a sign of weakness. And I think there's a real juxtaposition here of, of wanting help and needing help, showing signs that you need help and yet being unable to articulate that yourself because it must feel so confusing and so lonely and feel like it is all on you and no one can help you. I mean, they say in this country alone that the rate of suicide to farmers that are non-farmers is five times greater. And I just, I'm worried about that because when I look at a statement from the Psychological Association, they say that there's evidence linking perceived social isolation with adverse health consequences, including depression, poor sleep quality, impaired executive function, accelerated cognitive decline, poor cardiovascular function, and here's a biggie, and impaired immunity at every stage of life. Well, farming life is quite isolated. And then the life of today, where we are constantly thrown into these socially isolated situations where we have to quarantine in a hotel room for two weeks if we're coming back into the country, or these lockdowns that are occurring. I mean, even listening to all of that and all of the things that you said with all the signs that you had, and then even seeing that the associations, the psychological associations are saying that it also impairs our immunity. Well, the minute you uh, fatigue an immune system, the body is all now really at risk at all sorts of things, mentally, emotionally, and physically. So I guess my question to you is, are we, are we pushing society, not just from a farming perspective, but are you worried about society with all these isolations? And do you think personally it's the right thing to do? Or is there another way of doing this to protect our mental health? The isolation like, is it's something like what's happening, particularly around COVID and um, lockdowns. And that's it's really um, scary for me and scary for you know, the people that are really struggling because you're, you're then detached from that community. And one of the, the biggest, you know, and you can't, and, and one of the things that gets taken away from us is the ability to be able to check in face-to-face and see people. One of the, the biggest learnings I've had from my speaking, and it wasn't actually speaking, it was at the... Um, couple of weeks after the bushfires, the Black Summer bushfires, and I went down to Gippsland and I just needed to do something and I went down and 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 helped a farmer. It was a connection to some other people that I knew and went down there and thought, well, you know, I can pull fences out, you know, use some of my farming skills to be able to, you know, help lighten, you know, the burden that, the, that these people were facing. And I was down there for a week and... I really only did the pulling the fences and cutting the trees down for a couple of days and the rest of the time was just, um, you know, the, the farmer would go, I know such and such is really struggling, you should just go and call into it and see him. And I think it's the, the important thing is, you know, that face-to-face and, and just showing someone that you care. And there was one fellow that I met 
and I pulled up and I I had some fruit cakes I think in the car and I just pulled up and said just saying good day mate and here's a fruit cake to have with your cuppa and stuff like that and he invited me in and, and been there for a couple of hours because he just needed someone to talk to and whether that's you know around your mental health or whether you know he just wants to get stuff off his chest and learn some amazing stuff about this guy and his farming journey and He'd lost his wife a few years earlier and the effect that that had on him and he, he was struggling a little bit. Um, I think, you know, you, we just need to stay connected and that's one of my major lessons and you'll have heard that when I, I've spoken that, you know, one of my major lessons, you know, what, which was one of my failures is about staying connected to your community because the community is, is so powerful in many ways but... One of the most powerful ways that a community um, can, you know, support help support each other is through its shared wisdom. Because, and that's where I see my role in what I do is that I'm just sharing. It's, it's probably a, a bit of a stretch calling it wisdom, but sharing my journey and my wisdom of my journey, which will hopefully then help someone else. So having conversations you know, around mental health is we need to just make it something that's a bit more normal and hopefully by everyone that's working or, you know, in this mental health space by continually having these conversations that will make it easier. When it comes down to, I know, the, the, the crux of your question and this being really scared of for the people that are really vulnerable and, and are all consumed by where they're at. If you, um, you know, approach someone or think someone's struggling and you approach them with just from your heart and no ulterior motive than just from your heart, just because you're truly concerned and you just want to make sure they're all right, it might be in that first conversation. But if you stay connected and keep checking in with those people, eventually you'll earn their trust and but you've got to stay connected because if you just think well no they're not going to tell me anything and they must be all right or whatever if you're really truly concerned about that person you've got to stay connected and you've got to keep checking in because the moment that you don't that's another person that's given up on them and they're back to being isolated again where you might be their only person that they they're talking to so um, I think it's just being persistent and Unfortunately, in the in the mental health space that I work in, one of the harshest lessons, which is really harsh, it's, it's a harsh lesson that you've got to that you that you learn is, unfortunately, you can't help everybody. Um, it's got to be a little bit of a two way street, um, and. Those people are, are actually want to have to get help. You know, they want to get better. Sometimes it takes getting to that darkest of darkest points until that's a realization. Hopefully, um, you, you 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 get past that. You know that point, and you're able to then, like myself, and and climb back out of that hole and and try and get rid of that spiral. But 
the unfortunate part that I've, I've been faced with too many times, which is really sad and it does take its toll on me as well, is that you, know, you can't help everyone, but you've got to keep pushing on and, and, and keep supporting as many people as you can and, and try and keep sharing your story as much as you can, um, like on this platform, which I'm really grateful for the opportunity of, of doing, you know, so that you can help the, you know, the people that are listening and, and hopefully make them realise that it's, you know, yeah, it is okay to be, a, you know, not okay and, it, and, it, and it's not a sign of weakness to reach out for help. It's actually a sign of courage. Without doubt, and I pray that anyone listening to this also knows that they can reach out to Lifeline whenever we have these conversations. It's important that people know, and I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. But a couple of things I just want to check in on you with. Um, You mentioned very briefly that there was a scenario on the football field where your friend stopped talking to you. I'm curious to know that when we're in our dark places and we do go to these dark places and we say and do things that may not be certainly who we truly are and out of anger, spite, frustration, all of the things that can occur that push us into that spiral, we say or do things that are totally unwarranted, inappropriate and certainly not called for and and not acceptable. Do you think though, by owning these behaviours and by recognising the mistakes and forgiving yourself first and foremost, are you able to heal those moments and did you heal it with your footy friend? It's really important. It's a bit of a double-edged sword. It's It's really important to take ownership. That's that's really important, ownership around um, things. But on the other side of it is you also have got to be not too hard on yourself as well and understand why. So that that moment on the footy field, my whole life basically unraveled doing something that I love doing. I love playing footy. And, you know, I was embarrassed and, um, you know, sad and... A whole range of reasons, and and one of the reasons why I share that, particularly at sporting clubs, that story, and it leads back to your last question, is the conversation that was had after that. And basically, as I walked in the sheds that day, I got a pat on the backside, and you know the rah rah, and well done, that was great, you know, flew flew the flag and all this sort of stuff. But little did they know what was going on inside of me. That conversation probably should have gone more like, "Well, geez, mate, that was that was out of character, and that was your best mate. Are you okay? Is everything all right? Can we do anything for you?" Or, you know, asking some open-ended questions, you know, to see if they could help me. Instead, I just got, you know, well done, and that was it. But. Yeah, look, only... And, and just to make it clear, just to make it clear, what happened that, you whacked him, didn't you? You 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 hurt him. You knocked him yeah, down. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, yeah. Yep, yep, I did. And, um, you know, the owning what happened then and, and then understanding. So all these things are all these signs, you know, out of character. That was out of character for me. I had a 
position of responsibility at that football club and I've gone and done that. That's out of character, not acceptable. It's, you know, it was anger, it was stress, it was all these things, all these little things that hopefully by sharing that part of my story or any part of my story, people can pick up on these things and say, well, that's me. And I've had people come up to me. I've got one really good mate who's become a mate after he come and listened to me speak and he he sat in the audience and um, he's just going, shit, that's me. That's me. That's me. And so if any, if I haven't done anything else from my speaking, he was my one person and he went and got help and, you know, that's why it's important. And But, you know, going back to that skill of listening, if you listen carefully enough, to my story, I don't, you know, obviously in some of my presentations I'll point it out in black and white, you know, these are what we've got to look for and, and stuff like that. But if you listen to my story, there's all these things, all these signs that people go, shit, I should have picked up on that or I should have done this or, you know, whatever. So owning your own story um, and owning, um, you know, things that happen is important and that helps with the healing and, for me and my mate, that helped a few years down the track, unfortunately, but um, that helped with that healing because I owned what happened that day and and understood the context that it happened in. And you know, we're you know mates again now, and well, we've never not been mates, but we're mates, so that's really important. And I think you know that also. <laughs> takes some courage to do as well you know people can get stuck in you know stuck in the mud and just say no stuff him on the, you know bad luck and but the, his, that relationship was too important to me to let that continue any longer but once I got past the you know I, I had to, to heal myself first before I could heal that relationship and a part of that healing was recognizing and understanding and acknowledging and accepting and all those things about what happened that day. Do you think then part of the healing process and recognising your limitations and understanding yourself and, as you say, unravelling and uncovering your story and really getting to know yourself and looking at yourself from a different perspective, I mean, it sounds to me, and of course you are on the Self Love podcast, that that is the ultimate act of self-love. Would you agree? And if so... Could you tell me your definition of self-love? Uh, I think uh, I think that is is it's really becoming comfortable with with who you are and and accepting who you are. And then if there's things parts of who you are that um, you know, like your mental health that needs working on, you need to to identify that. I I now talk about. Um, this like as in I call it the unbreakable wheel of well-being and in pharma talk if you've got a wheel and if you think of certain parts of your life like your mental health your physical health your financial health your relationship health if you think of things like that as spokes in a wheel um, if all those spokes aren't balanced your wheel starts to wobble and if your wheel starts to wobble and you drive 
or ride that wheel long enough while it's wobbling, eventually it's going to fall off. So one of the things that we need to do, and it's an exercise that people can do, is that, you know, write down your, your well-being domains or the things that are important to you in your life, like, you know, your mental health, physical health, financial health, um, relationship health, social um, you know, your social, your community, all those, and have them as spokes and then rate yourself, you know, either weekly or monthly basis, one to five, and, you know, five being excellent, one being terrible, um, needs lots of work. Well, then you can identify areas that you need to work on and try and balance that wheel as best you can so it doesn't wobble too much. Um, and I think that's that's important that we, you know, really try and balance out um, our life and, and and by, you know, doing a bit of soul searching and maybe doing an exercise like that, you kind of realise, well, I need to work on this area and probably don't need to work on that area as much so I'll focus more of my energy on my mental health or my financial well-being or I need to work more on my relationship or whatever it is um, and that keeps you real in balance. I love it, and I think it it's was, such an easy thing to do, isn't it? Would, it's something you could do with your partner, would you recommend? Is that something you could do together, or is it something that you can do as a family, would you recommend? Oh, you could do You can either do it individually or as partners or, you know, uh, as a family, like, a, and you can explore different things, you know, what, you know, as a family, what are some of our things that we need to identify as our, our important spokes in our wheel and, and, and how are we travelling, you know, do we treat each other nicely in our relationships, you know, is all our mental health fine, we can do that. It was really brought to me, it was, um, as a speaker, I've been very, very blessed in um, with some of the audiences that I've got to speak in front of and where that exercise and the importance of that exercise really was not brought to my attention because I was talking about it, but it was brought to my attention how important was I got to speak at the Raman Centre in, in Melbourne to a group of prisoners who are, um, who are transitioning back to the community. And one of the guys, he'd been... Uh, He'd been incarcerated for a very long time and, and prior to that he'd been in and out um, and he was on his last couple of months um, inside and I talked about this and keeping your wheel balanced and all that and this guy was huge. He, I reckon for the time that he'd, he'd been in prison, he, all he'd done was pump weights and he was physical, a fine physical specimen. Anyway, he came up to me after my talk and kind of got a little bit nervous when he, he was standing, you know, a, fun, a foot away from me, looking me straight in the eye. But when I looked back in his eye, he had a tear coming down the side of his face and you know, I gave him a bit of a hug and I said, you're right, mate. And he goes, yeah, I'm all right. He goes, you know, that exercise about keeping your wheel balanced. He said, no, I'm just mentally in my head rated myself and he goes you know physically I'm a five and I said yeah, you don't have to tell me that mate <laughs> you've got me your arms around me I know how big you are you're at the peak of your physical condition but he goes socially and mentally 
and relationship wise, he said, I'm way down there. So he goes, I reckon I'm going to put the weights down for a bit and I'm going to work on these other couple of spokes to see if I can balance my wheel up. He said, because when I get out in two months' time, he goes, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified, I'm scared. And he goes, one thing that I'm most fearful of is he goes, I'm going to end up back in here. And he goes, so I'm going to try and balance my wheels. Thanks for, for sharing that simple exercise with me and I'm going to work on it. And that's when it was brought to my attention of how powerful that can be. Simple exercise, but it can be so powerful. It's so beautiful and what an honour for these guys to have someone like you come in and, as you say, share yourself from your heart. I want to ask you very quickly before we come to the close, I could talk to you for hours, as you know, and I do know that a lot of the listeners on the Self Love Podcast are huge empaths and they have massive hearts and they care greatly about their partners, families, relationships, community, mental, physical and emotional health. And one thing that we touched on at the very, very beginning was around being a farmer, but also your own lack of, for want of a better word, not only intuitively knowing that there was something wrong, but for you know your, your lack of self-care. And I just think that it's really important that through all trials and tribulations and through all challenges that we're faced with, one of the greatest ways to stay connected to yourself is by taking care of yourself yet that always seems to go to the bottom of the priority list. You Would you have said that you were a bit of a martyr going through those times of not being a failure? You became a martyr to your own self-care and ability to take care of you? Is that what you're alluding to? Yeah, probably, yeah. Just, you know, well, bottom line is, is I probably didn't understand the importance of the role that I play in my life <laughs> with all the external stuff. And without me, my life doesn't exist. So, um, you know, I think not placing enough value on the importance of you um, is, yeah, it, it could be seen as, um, yeah, being a martyr and just, you know, trying to achieve the, the bigger goal and not thinking about yourself, but it, it is so important that you've got to have some strategies in your toolbox that, you know, that help you look after yourself and make sure that um, you can be the best version of yourself that you can be. I just think it's one of the most important messages of all is self-care and that whole focus on self-love, which I don't mean it to sound funny, but I've had a number of people. I had a person come up to me once at one of my book signings, which, as you know, I have the book, The Art of Self-Love. And she was a woman and she came up to me and she said, look, really love the idea of your book, but it's a bit of a wanky title. Um, and I'll never forget it. And I looked at her and I was like, oh, well, you know, and she goes, well, I just, you know, I don't think my husband or my son is actually going to, they, they really need the information, but they're not going to read it, not with that title. And I was like, wow, what, what would I call it? What, who's my superhero now that I'm hearing you say that? But why is self-love not seen as such a powerful thing? Or is it back to school days? Are you the same when someone who loved themselves was almost looked down upon? They were up themselves. How do we change? You're, you're saying change the focus on making it okay to talk about mental health 
And the same text I'm trying to also get across that it's okay to talk about the ability to love oneself. Would you agree with that? And I think there's some of the things that we're conditioned, I think, from a young age. Um, obviously, things are really changing. I've had some um, really interesting conversations with people around, you know, sexuality and racism and, and so forth in the last few days. It's just our world's evolving and um, I think we were conditioned, like you say, as, you know, you know, well, he's a, you know, he's a bit of a poser or he's up himself or, you know, well, look at her, look at, she's got tickets on herself or whatever, but probably they were the people that are in the best place. In a, I, one of two things, they're either in a really good place and they were comfortable with who they were or they were in a really bad place and they were trying to be someone that they weren't, um, you know, by being the poser or the bloke that was up himself. And sometimes you find that, you know, some of the, you know, at schools that you, you talk and I'm lucky enough to get to sit down with some of these kids and talk with them, but the kids that are most disruptive at school are the ones that are, you know, they're not, they're only just trying to grasp a little bit of it. It's their, I suppose it's their cry, their cry for help and they're just trying to get that little bit of attention or, or whatever it is. They're the kids that are the most troubled just because um, they're being rat bags, you know, needle is is not the reason you've got to look a bit deeper than that. And I think, um, I think that conditioning around, you know, you don't want to be up yourself and try and be humped is, is a big factor in people not taking care of themselves or, or, you know, seeing their role as like, as I did as a bloke, as a dad, as a, as a husband thinking, you know, you're the provider and you're the problem solver and, when all hell starts breaking apart on you, um, that's when you, you you feel like you're a failure. And I think you've got to have those tools, as I keep saying, in your toolbox around looking after yourself and, and making that a priority so then you can still be that person that you want to be, that that provider and that and you know, that problem solver for your family or or, or your partner or whoever it is. Um, I think but you've, that, that self-care has got to come first. I agree. Look, I could talk to you forever and you know how much I love you, how much I respect you and how much I feel so privileged to have you on this platform. I know you're very popular. I know you're in demand, but it's a challenging time right now and there's, you know, where you used to be able to go into schools and go into communities and speak. As we know as speakers, it's, it's all kind of been stripped away at the moment. We talked off air just briefly before we started recording just about the impact this is having on our children and we are both got adult children and you've got a young musician and a family that's, you know, they, they travel a lot and, and put a lot of effort and time into their respective careers. What would be your final message to everybody out there as we progress through this, you know, challenge time that we're in? What's your advice to the young, to the old, to, to those of us in between? What do you think's the answer? I think we need to, that important thing is we've got to, my, I think my three lessons um, really come into play in this and it's something that we've, we've talked to our kids about and, you know, we've got to keep communicating 
it's really important, even though we might be able to see each other face to face. They're really challenging times, and and I feel like I'm I'm not armed with the the right advice because this is something that none of us have been through. Um, so we're all learning on the hop, if you like. So my three lessons are, you know, we've got to keep communicating, um, whether you're having a good day or a bad day. Um, we've got to stay connected, stay connected to our, our community and our support network. And, you know, and if you, if you do find yourself struggling, you need to, to seek help or at least have that conversation with someone in that support network that you, that you build around yourself to, um, that you feel comfortable about talking. Uh, about these things because you know and then probably the the other thing especially as a parent is that sometimes you've got to what's going on in your own life you've got to put to the back burner a little bit so you can support your kids especially you know because this is just uncharted waters and it and and it's challenging everybody and anyone that says you know like I know you hear people say well COVID is you're either going to you're you're thriving or you're you're dying, but everyone has to is being challenged by this in one way or another, and 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 a lot of the challenge is around not being able to see the people that are important to you. So, you know, keeping those three lessons in mind, you know, communication, connection, and and if you are struggling, seeking help is is really important. Thank you so much. I know it's not easy and I know it's not a general, you know, one glove, one thing fits all. But I just want to say to you, thank you for the work that you're doing. And I really appreciate you being so vulnerable. And I do know that many of us go through life lessons in order to come out the other side so that we can share and open, be brave, courageous and vulnerable so that others can pave their way in their pathway in their own way. And I think what you're allowing us to do is to ultimately be ourselves. And I think also, Warren, you'd probably agree with me that it's not always about being up. You know, there are tough days. There are moments when Mother Nature calls in or when we have these unprecedented times or when we have, you know, just really sucky days. They're just, it's not all about constantly being happy. It's actually about being yourself and it's okay sometimes to be sad or down or disappointed with what's going on. But I think that's where more importantly, community and support networks, they're the ones that help pull you out of it and realize that ultimately at the end of the day, what matters is our family, our connections, our community, our relationships. You can't put a price on those no matter what. And one of the greatest gifts when we see someone going through challenging times, as you yourself did, was going out and delivering a fruitcake to someone who may not have even you'd you'd known or that they'd known that they were in trouble anyway. And I think reaching out is one of the greatest takeaways I get from you, that it never hurts to constantly, you know, the analogy could be drop off a fruitcake to have a cup of tea. I want to thank you wholeheartedly for being on the show. And if people wanted to reach out and be a part of your network and, and you know, maybe have you come and speak when we're able to get out of these lockdowns and when we're able to all connect again face-to-face, where would we connect with you, my friend? Um, you know, look, you can find me on Facebook, The Unbreakable Farmer on Facebook, on Instagram, the same. Um, 
I'm on LinkedIn and my website is www.theunbreakablefarmer.com.au. Um, you can message me on Facebook if you like. You can fill in. There's a there's a form on, on my website if you want to connect with me um, or either for speaking gigs or um, just to reach out. Um, you can fill that in and I'll endeavour to get straight back to you. So, you know, any of those, but I'm happy to have conversations with anybody. You're wonderful. I think it's such a treat to have you in my world. I was very grateful to meet you, you sweet soul. Much love to your beautiful family and to your wife who's stuck by you. (laughs) And I think it's a really cool thing to just let's give a shout out to those those partners that really have watched their partners go and hit rock bottom and been on the journey down, but also been a part of the journey coming back up. I just want to give a little shout out to every single person who's been a supporter of someone who's really found themselves at the bottom of the bottom. Definitely. That's, that's, that's um, definitely true. (laughs) (laughs) Go and hug her up. Um, But also your final quote, your final message and final quote to the listener of the self-love podcast. Righto. So I'm a, a fairly big Brene Brown fan. So this quote comes from her and it's this really encapsulates probably everything that I've just spoken about. So owning our story can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. Embracing our vulnerability is risky, but not nearly as dangerous as giving up on love, belonging and joy. The experiences that make us the most vulnerable. Only when you're brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. That's my that's my quote that I want to leave you with, Kim. Oh, beautiful. I love her so much. I'm with you on that. Thank you again, you beautiful soul. I'll make sure that that is in the show notes so that anyone that wants to print that particular one out and put it on your mirror, something that I love to do is to always, I've got a book full of quotes and that's certainly in there and I'm very grateful you've shared it. I think it's pertinent and certainly absolutely brilliant as far as your story, your soul and your beautiful gift. Thank you, gorgeous Warren Davies. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for for having me. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.